You're listening to Spice Radio, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is rising costs for consumers across the board and what energy has to do with it. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us, and a happy new year to you. Happy New Year to you as well, Mankara, and great to be here. So let's start off now. Households in Canada are on track to pay over $1,000 more this year for groceries on average than last year. And this week, a photo of a package of chicken for sale is making the rounds online due to its eye-watering price, $37 for 1.3 kilograms. What's going on here, Margareta? Apparently, Loblaws, which is selling this particular bird at a greater Toronto area location, claims this is a premium cut. So, correspondingly, a little bit more expensive. Uh, But in other words, this was no pricing error. And uh, they do admit in a statement that uh, came out of uh, quite a media furor about the price of this chicken, uh, that inflationary pressures and poultry supply chain disruptions, um, in other words, more disease in birds, are uh, having a major impact on prices. And uh, some of the latter uh, are ultimately unrelated to inflation. Uh, inflation has something to do with uh, birds getting sick uh, on a larger scale, and uh, same thing happens uh, some years. Growing season in agriculture uh, is, is not as productive. Um, those, those are types of pressures that can typically be absorbed, uh, but in a period of time where labor is tight, and certainly where we are today, and uh, costs are generally going up across the board for businesses as well as consumers, there's a little bit less flexibility for the impacts of what is effectively bad luck. Um, it can't really be absorbed that easily, and it costs consumers more. And anyone who eats any kind of meat um, has definitely noticed the uptick. Um, so good time to be a vegetarian, I suppose. Uh, but our latest round of inflationary pressures is largely related, not exclusively to the ongoing global energy supply disruption that was triggered by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all the continuing conflict in that region. And uh, Russia has a role as a major oil and gas supplier. Uh, European markets are very hungry for energy, and that's been majorly disturbed, but not entirely scrubbed. There's still some supply from Russia making its way through southern Europe principally, but um, this is a fairly significant piece. Less supply uh, overall because of this issue, rebounding demand from COVID. I uh, remember when energy prices were very, very low, um, but now they're coming back up and demand as a whole has recovered means uh, price increases overall. And energy is a major cost driver for many, many industries. It's not just you know consumers uh, gassing up their cars or uh, truck drivers uh, gassing up uh, their massive vehicles to uh, carry products uh, across uh, borders and uh, between towns and communities. Um, But it's a huge input for the production of literally anything and everything. Uh, Shipping of products globally, the uh, use of energy in manufacturing facilities and factories, agriculture massively relies on energy products, uh, not only to use energy, but to also produce important uh, uh, inputs like fertilizer. Uh, So as that goes up, everything gets impacted. Uh, And of course, we get to where we are today. Canadian households are on track this year to pay about 7% more for groceries. That's about that $1,000. And of course, wages are not going up proportionally. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely the challenge right there. Now, given that this whole thing has to do with energy prices as a root cause, what's happening in the Canadian energy sector right now? Well, it's a challenging and interesting time. I would say, on one hand, um, the increase in prices has been good for shareholders. Uh, Many of the companies that produce energy products in Canada are publicly traded. Um, If I had to guess, I 
reasonably sure that the majority of the ownership of those shares uh, is uh, by Canadians. And uh, a lot of us are saving for retirement, we're saving for education or a house, we're investing those savings into markets. Um, A lot of us have our savings managed, uh, whether it's in mutual funds or, uh, you know, retirement uh, plans as a whole held by major employers. Um, So all of us essentially own bits and pieces of uh, major producers. So we're seeing an uptick in that respect. Uh, I've certainly appreciated getting a little bit of a little bit more dividends <laughs> paid out. Um, but uh, as a whole, the mood in the industry is a little bit sober. Uh, it's, it's good to have a period of, of growth uh, after so much decline. Uh, jobs are, of course, increasing in energy-producing regions. British Columbia is a good example. We produce a tremendous amount of natural gas in the Northeast. Um, so it's good for workers and families and communities that are directly implicated in those supply chains. And those benefits flow to all communities across the country. Uh, but in contrast, there are a lot of policy pressures. And the federal government is due to shortly table its just transition legislation. And uh, there's been a tremendous amount of anger and frustration from uh, parts of the country that produce a lot of oil. Um, and maybe I should just explain what just transition is about. Uh, it was a condition of the confidence and supply agreement with the New Democrats uh, for the minority liberals to form a government uh, this time around that they introduced legislation uh, to provide for workers being displaced by a decline in energy or oil and gas specifically. Um, and to some extent, um, irrespective of any policy pressures from the Canadian government, um, there's a lot of expectation that that's going to happen. A uh, large driver for this, of course, is a global energy transition taking place. A uh, matter of debate is how quickly is that happening? How quickly is Canadian oil and gas specifically going to decrease uh, in its demand? Um, and that that is fairly contentious uh, part of the debate. Um, but I feel like there is potentially some fundamental misunderstandings about um, this legislation. Um, You know, just the words, just transition, are commonly perceived as meaning, okay, that's it, government is rolling up the carpet on Canada's energy sector. Um, And I can see when people's livelihoods are on the line, when the well-being of their neighbours, their communities, is at stake, why this is something that would cause a lot of uh, consternation and upset. Um, And clearly points to a need for the federal government to do a better job in communicating its intentions. Um, And it's not to say that the federal government is entirely uh, home-free. They have introduced legislation and regulatory uh, shifts that are making it more difficult for investors to invest with certainty in the energy sector. That is something that's creating a more challenging investment climate, uh, challenging for new job creation and the maintenance of existing jobs, um, so it's not just what's happening out there in the world. It's decisions that Canadian decision-makers are making every single day. Um, so that's long and short of it. But, uh, of course, we have uh, an interesting time ahead with uh, these prices, and I hope that this means that investments can be made in uh, growing the uh, climate resilience of our oil and gas infrastructure. And uh, that's certainly what many energy producers are signaling right now. In related news, the U.S. has tied with Qatar as the world's top exporter of liquefied natural gas in 2022. Tell us about what this means for the global energy markets. Well, this is uh, being seen by many commentators as a milestone for uh, the meteoric rise of America as a major supplier of the fuel. 
And uh, they've accomplished this in the time that it took us to blink. <laughs> the world is changing rapidly. Uh, a lot of coal, uh, thermal coal in particular, uh, which is used for electricity and heat uh, generation for um, home heating, uh, is being replaced by natural gas. And natural gas is, uh, as the name indicates, gaseous. So, you know, kind of hard to transport in uh, gas form uh, until you liquefy it. And uh, that process um, developed uh, many, many years ago, but has really taken off in the last five, ten years. Um, Australia is uh, third largest producer. Uh, Qatar is the top. Uh, United States is uh, remarkably quick on the uptake. Uh, they have a lot of shale gas. They have a lot of uh, pr- production that they've been able to harness. Um, and Canada does as well, yet our ability to export it, to get it to global markets, has been greatly constrained. Uh, a lot of it comes down to regulatory pressures and the challenges of building major projects. Um, that's the thing that uh, every industry under the sun likes to harp on various levels of government uh, on about. Um, of course, I was very happy to see that in this space around critical minerals, uh, so mining for the sorts of things that we need in this energy transition, uh, many levels of government have recognized it. The federal critical mineral strategy really emphasizes the need to speed up regulatory processes, uh, and yet we really struggle to get an equivalent commitment for LNG, uh, whether from the B.C. government or from the federal government. Um, so I would say this is an opportunity for us to pick up the pace. There is still demand for this product, and we haven't fully missed the window. I think it's time for us to wake up and hopefully see this opportunity before it's too late. Mm. Now, one last thing, Margaret. The U.S. House of Representatives is still voting for a speaker. This is the longest stretch that body has been without a speaker during a sitting session for many years. And I have to say, this is quite the story. So what exactly is the issue? Well, the math just isn't working out uh, for either the Democrats or the Republicans. And, of course, the Republicans won a fairly narrow majority in the House during the most recent midterms. Uh, very, very strange system that I can fully wrap, can't fully wrap my head around, um, where half of all the seats in any given um, election are up for grabs, and the other half are residuals from the last election, and uh, they go to the polls every two years uh, nationally. So um, the result was, in the most recent one, um, Republicans uh, swept a little bit more than the Democrats. Uh, so for the speaker vote... Um, they could only afford four defections uh, before losing the majority. And uh, a speaker uh, must be elected on a majority of all votes in the House. Um, And on the first ballot, the leader of the Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, failed to secure 19 votes from their caucus. So a sizable number defected, uh, which I'll explain. Um, And, of course, the Republicans have less than half of all voting members in the House. So things are, you could say, under gridlock. Um, And there have been six votes, uh, getting 435 uh, elected representatives out to vote six times, um, but no resolution is in sight. It keeps getting uh, just short of a majority. Uh, And one key piece here is understanding why Republican votes aren't slotting into place. Um, That really comes down to the role of Speaker. You could just look at Nancy Pelosi's past term. She served her tradition as the leader of the House Majority Party. And unlike the Canadian House of Commons, where the Speaker is an independent facilitator of sorts, the House Speaker in the U.S. is a deeply partisan role, and it goes to the leader of the party with a majority. And uh, Pelosi was naturally in front of every issue for the Democrats, while also being, like in Canada, responsible for providing a chair for proceedings in that chamber. Um, and in this case, renegade Republicans are deeply unhappy with the power and control that the Speaker has. 
they're seeking fairly substantial concessions from McCarthy in order to provide their support. If I had to guess, that's the thing that's going to have to fall into place. And uh, a seventh vote is coming up. So we will see how much longer the uh, house of the world's uh, largest economy will be without a speaker. Yeah, there's always so much drama down south, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised about that. Margaret, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too. All the best.